This was a vision. I'm telling you, these people are Satanists. As I sit here, they are Satanists. Look, the world is full of these kind of things. Black masses, mutilations, mutilations. The incubus, the succubus. I'm telling you, we got to go down to the religious supply store. we got to get ourselves a couple of gallons of holy water. My cousin Jerry's a priest. He can get us a deal. Do you want him to take your family, kidnap them, tear their livers out, and make some kind of satanic pate? Hey, once they get in here, it's over, pal. Trigger warning. This podcast may include explicit content that will take you out of your comfort zone and make you question reality. Listener's discretion is advised. What is going on, everybody? Today, I have an absolutely spine-tingling episode for you. I will be revealing research to you today that I have been working on for a while, connecting, as the title suggests, the 1960s serial killers, mass suicides, and human sacrifices. I will be bringing the cosmic fire to connect the dots behind infamous cults, the gods of old, and the people who do their bidding. But before we slice into the episode, I am trying out a new schedule for dropping episodes, and you might have already noticed. So, essentially, I want you to be able to relax and enjoy each episode. While I love the thought of providing chug-worthy content that will have you reaching for the next one, I also want everyone to feel like they're able to get caught up. And it's essentially the difference between inhaling your food and savoring it. I want you to savor each episode. So let's try this out and see how it goes. Not making anything permanent yet, though. But we are probably going to have one more episode this week. And then for the next couple of weeks, we're going to try out just one episode per week, probably on Wednesdays. Anyways, anyways, I know you all will find this episode completely thought provoking or even a cosmic cult classic. (laughs) But let's drink the Kool-Aid minus the poison. Here we go. All right, everyone. Today we are diving into some more mind-blowing content. Mass suicides, human sacrifices, and unholy rituals, and of course, the 1960s. Strap yourself in, because here we fucking go. I want to take you to San Diego, California, March 26, 1997. In a multi-million dollar mansion in the upscale neighborhood of Rancho Santa Fe, police make a bizarre and horrifying discovery. 39 bodies are found. 
dressed identically, wearing the same Nike tennis shoes, all covered in purple shrouds and even the same haircuts. 39 neatly arranged corpses. A mass suicide. Or in their eyes, the final devotion to their charismatic leader, Marshall Applewhite. And the first cult that we are going to be talking about today is the cult called Heaven's Gate. Now, the end of the age, I'm afraid I feel is right upon us. This is the biggest cult story in the country. This was a voluntary situation. They may or may not have been influenced, but we'll never know that. But at this point, this is considered a mass suicide investigation. Tiendo gave us the tools to brainwash ourselves. Literally wash out our humanness from our brain. The basic idea of Heaven's Gate was that you would chemically and biologically transform your body, becoming a next-level alien, and then you would physically get on board the UFO, which would sail off into heaven. It says Heaven's Gate away team. 39 to beam up. T and Doe were paranoid and constantly on the move. And the FBI said there's really not much we can do about this group. Doe said we're going to proceed doing the castration. Who's going to go first? Do exactly as I say, and you will not know death. By killing themselves, they ensured their immortality. They signed out. Hasta la vista, baby. People say, who do you think you are? Is this a cult if I ever heard one? Yes, it is. It's a cult. I mean, it's the cult of cults. We'll see you in our next session. A very short time before our departure. Heaven's Gate was a religious group founded in the United States on a belief in UFOs and aliens. Need I say more? All of these unholy rituals and cult sacrifices, serial killers in the 1960s were all involved in channeling these disembodied spirits of the fallen ones. And these cults are still continuing to do this today, but it just looks a little bit different. Now, this guy, this fucking asshole, Marshall Applewhite. You need to look up a picture of this guy or a video. He has this MK Ultra like stare and the appearance of this guy is just haunting. He has dead eyes and he barely ever blinks and he just stares wide-eyed into the camera and will talk in a monotone. A lot like one of the other pib squeaks I mentioned in my uh, FLDS episode about Warren Jeffs. These cult leaders all have that MK Ultra stare and they all have this cadence to the way that they speak. And this is by design. Marshall Applewhite became obsessed with UFOs in the 1960s, no surprise there, and met his cult co-founder Bonnie Nettles in 1972. 
and soon became convinced that they were the two end-time witnesses mentioned in Revelation, and that aliens were inhabiting their bodies and giving them visions. But since we're talking about the Bible, I guess now would be a good time to state the obvious. Applewhite and Nettles were channeling spirits, the fallen ones, demons, and just about any other type of disembodied spirit you can name. I also believe that they conducted some type of MKUltra program on this dude. Because you know what? Marshall Applewhite served in the United States army. And how odd. Heaven's Gate received a massive influx of funds in the late 1970s of unknown origin. Well, well. Marshall Herb Applewhite Doe is basically their god. Who is this man called Doe? And what is the source of his power over highly accomplished people from all over the country? Ohio, Missouri, Minnesota. Listen. He's directing the scene. Look at the camera. Where's your normals? There. Ah. Good. <laughs> For more than 20 years, how has he convinced these followers he can lead them through the gates of heaven? He promises they'll be carried to the next level of existence in a UFO. Does he believe what he's saying? As he asks them to record video farewells to Earth, death just hours away. Tapes that raise so many questions about the narrow divide between choice and coercion, faith and delusion. Tinkerbell warns Peter Pan that every time someone stops believing in little people like her, a little person dies. Look at the camera. You look great. Another beautiful, quiet smile. He is the brother of a famous actress on an iconic TV show. Hailing frequencies open, sir. She is Lieutenant Uhura from Star Trek. We should have been there 10 minutes ago, sir. And what about his sidekick, Bonnie Nettles? Well, after becoming a registered nurse, she married businessman Joseph Seagal Nettles in December 1949, with whom she had four children. Their marriage remained mostly stable until 1972, at which time she began attempting to contact deceased spirits by conducting regular seances and came to believe that a 19th century monk named Brother Francis frequently spoke with her and gave her instructions. She also visited multiple fortune tellers who told her that she was soon to meet a mysterious Aryan man who was tall with light hair and a fair complexion. Ooh, and Nettles also studied astrology, theosophy, and the occult. She was also born in August. This sounds hunky-dory, right? <laughs> no red flags. And Applewhite and Nettles went by the collective of the two, as well as the singular names Bo and Peep, and later Doe and T along with guinea and pig. Need I say more? But so, anyways, they go around gathering cult followers, castrating themselves, and practicing witchcraft, 
which inevitably leads to the pinnacle moment in time where they decide in order to ascend into space on the spaceship and be with the aliens, the fallen ones, they must drink poison and murder themselves. But first things first, they must also pack their luggage, shave their heads, wear all black pants and black shirts with a custom logo on the breast pocket and matching black and white Nikes. Gives a whole new meaning to just do it. <laughs> but anyways, the logo, by the way, is a pyramid with shooting stars and the sun rising on the solstice and it simply states, Heaven's Gate Away Team. They were also covered in 3x3 three three purple shrouds, and some even had plastic bags over their heads. Now, do I really need to explain how this is completely a cult from the devil? I should hope not, but this is just our stop number one along our journey. Somehow all of these cults are known throughout history and have been documented, but yet just ends up as another cult story. But you know how we do on the Cosmic Peach podcast. I will be bringing the cosmic fire to expose the truth hidden in plain sight. Somehow... We have forgotten that even in the ancient world, entire civilizations were being ruled by rulers who were claiming, just like Marshall Cockwhite, that they were in direct contact with the beings in the sky, connected with the higher powers influencing their decisions. The Roman Emperor Gaius Julius Caesar Augustus Germanicus or more commonly known as Caligula, also born in August, was the most ruthless, infamous, sadistic, demented ruler of Rome. And he claimed to have a personal close relationship with the gods of old, that he himself was divine in some way. And this idea, of course, comes straight from the ancient Greeks and Egyptians who also worshipped and lived among the Fallen Ones. And as discussed in my Book of Enoch episode, these civilizations were also continuing the Brotherhood of the Snake, the oldest secret society. But what I have also uncovered is that the Brotherhood of the Snake actually ended up breaking up into several divisions like subcults pretty much, who tried to outdo one another all the time and are still fighting each other to this day in body and spirit. And these modern day cults are just examples, in my opinion, of the influence these fallen ones are still having in our lives, doing the bidding of Lucifer chief among the fallen angels. But let's look at another cult. We will now be exploring a cult led by a Mexican drug lord believed to have supernatural powers. In 1989 in Mexico, 
Police are searching for a missing college student when they stumble upon something ghastly, ghoulish, and depraved. Ryan Finley says next week will mark 33 years since his friend Mark Kilroy vanished during a spring break trip with a group of friends after crossing the border to Matamoros, Mexico. You know, as the story unfolded, if you remember, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. The UT college student was kidnapped off the street, tortured and sacrificed by members of a cult. His remains discovered the next month on a ranch along with other victims. Even in the southern region of Texas, they still talk about Mark's death every spring break. Finley tells me he was supposed to go on the trip, but changed his mind last minute, a decision that may have saved his life. Because I was so hot on going. So for me to all of a sudden have a change of heart, I just think he was a protective angel overlooking. Several books and even a movie have been based on the horrific crime. These are all the original posters of uh, Cameron County Sheriff's Department. Finley has kept newspaper clippings about the case and often speaks at churches and college campuses about what happened to his friend, all in hopes of sparking conversations about spring break safety. On property belonging to Adolfo Constanzo, they find 12 bodies buried in a row. Some have been shot, some hacked to death with a machete, but one of the graves contained the mutilated body of the missing college student, 21-year-old Mark Kilroy. They had ripped vertebrae from his backbone and made a necklace out of it. His other body parts had been put in a cauldron and Adolfo's followers wholeheartedly believed in his supernatural powers. Of course, Adolfo Constanzo claimed to be in contact working with and receiving powers from beings of supernatural origin. He also practiced palo sorcery. Straight up black magic and he offered his services of protection to other drug lords. And he was using human sacrifices for his incantations and spells. Brains, body parts, just disgusting, in a cauldron, or what is also referred to as a spirit pot. He kidnapped, murdered, and mutilated dozens and dozens of victims. Now, Palo Meombe incorporates traditions and gods from West African religions, but Adolfo claims to be in direct communication with Kadiem Pembe, also known as Ishu, an elongated skull god with huge eyes very closely resembling the depictions of Akhenaten from the most ennobled bloodline in Egypt, fallen angel god king. Ishu was also known as a god who spoke all languages and could shape shift. Imagine that! And he likes to destroy and trick people. He is a master of lies and it is said he would tell you three truths and one lie, setting you up for ultimate failure. 
and Ishu is also repped in Haitian voodoo in the figure known as Papa Legba. Those of you who have watched American Horror Story Season Coven probably have alarms going off already. Same here. Papa Legba is described in the exact same way as Ishu, speaking all languages and even the languages of the animals, but was particularly fond of dogs or jackals and would speak to dogs and have them do his bidding. Papa Legba is also connected to another mass murderer. Son of Sam, David motherfucking Berkowitz, who said he received his messages from dogs. Did you care at that point? There was a time when uh, I had given up hope. I was, I feel so far under satanic power and satanic control that I didn't care. I was more like a robot than a person. There was a time in my life when I feel that I was just utterly under a, a, a powerful influence that was destructive and, and I didn't care if I, it was a point where I didn't care if I lived or died. I'm telling you, I didn't know it was going to come this way. I mean, when I got out of the service, I wanted to make a life for myself. My dad was moving to Florida. Most of my friends had all gone or all changed directions in their life. And I, I just wanted to make a life for myself. I got an apartment. I had saved up and when I was in the service enough money to buy a used car to rent an apartment. I got a job as a security guard. I, I enrolled in Bronx Community College. I, I wanted to have a future, you know. And I, I don't know. Everything got turned upside down. I, I, it just, uh, I had good goals, and uh, I just fell into some, under some kind of powerful influence. I mean, yeah, yeah. I really was losing my mind, and uh, I believe that was a result of the, of the demons that were really inside of me and working, and I opened myself up to. And I did, during some occultic rituals, use LSD as well as drink some wine. So I had some maybe after effects of that. And I used LSD when I was in the army too. Not to make excuses, but this was at the time some of the things I was dealing with. Um, because because of, the, of, 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 of the Satanism, one of the deities that I used to pay homage to was a deity by the name of Samhain. Samhain, which I used to call Samhain spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N, Samhain. He was a Druid, Druidic deity of Druids, which demanded human sacrifice. And because I used to seek communication with this, this demonic entity, as, as dumb and crazy as it sounds, I, you know, this, I, I regret this, this was a nightmare, but at the time, that's what I was doing. So I was calling upon this demonic entity, this Druid spirit, and it, it was like he was reaching out to me. In my mind, I was really, felt I was really getting messages from him. I was reading literature uh, from a, a church called the, the, the Process Church of Final Judgment, but it, it was something that was, I believe, demonically energized. The teachings which I was reading from, also the Satanic, the satanic Bible, and other things I was trying to do, uh, at that time of my life of searching and everything, these things became very real. It was hard to distinguish 
reality from, from, from that. By the way, David motherfucking Berkowitz killed eight people and was arrested in August. There we go with the August 8 connection. He also served in the United States Army in the 1960s. Claimed that he had been a member of a violent satanic cult that orchestrated the incidents as a ritual murder. And just like BTK and the Zodiac Killer, he wrote letters to the police. And speaking of BTK, Dennis Lynn Raider, an American serial killer who killed 10 people in Wichita and Park City, Kansas, and sent taunting letters to police and media outlets describing the details of his crimes, just like Zodiac and just like David motherfucking Berkowitz, Raider harbored, get this, sadistic sexual fantasies about torturing trapped and helpless women. He also exhibited zoosadism by torturing, killing, and hanging small animals go to hell and Raider acted out sexual fetishes for autoerotic asphyxiation and cross-dressing. He often spied on female neighbors while dressed in women's clothing, including women's underwear that he had stolen and masturbated with ropes and other bindings around his arms and neck. What else can we connect? Well, Dennis Lynn Raider also served in the United States Air Force in the 60s, 1966 to 1970 to be specific, and Raider was a member of Christ Lutheran Church in Wichita and had been elected president of the church council. He was also a Cub Scout leader, and he was sentenced on August 18th. <laughs> what he did to his victims was absolutely grotesque. And why? Well, straight from the horse's mouth, Dennis Lynn Raider said, quote, I actually think it's a demon that's within me, end quote. At some point in time, it entered me when I was young, and it basically controlled me. And... In the wordy, often grammatically incorrect, and misspelled letters to police, just like Zodiac, Raider grappled with his urges, calling his murderous alter ego, quote, the monster, end quote, just like David Berkowitz. And besides Berkowitz, Zodiac, and BTK, who else wrote letters? to the police about their crimes. Maybe someone who went on a murderous rampage in 1888. Jack the Ripper, who I linked back to black magic and occult symbolism. All of this is connected. But let's get back to cults for a second now that we've mentioned Jack the Ripper. I did watch an interview with the actress who played in 
American Horror Story season coven where she talks about having to do the scene where she calls on Papa Legba and she noted that she felt something run down the back of her spine and also across her face felt like a finger rubbing down her spine and down on her face starting at her forehead going all the way down her nose across her lips and even down her neck that is the exact type of feeling I got when I was recording the Nephilim episodes and I freaked out in the middle of one of them so it's not just my research that is pointing me in this direction but there is physical evidence to substantiate the role that the fallen ones black magic and the occult are working through in today's societies cults have been consistent throughout time you guys worship of the old gods but this papa legba character shows up time and time again with different names norse god loki shape-shifting trickster among the native americans the coyote dog again the anasazi have cocopelli and among aztecs and mesoamericans tezcatlipoca now i'm probably butchering that last one but these again are just the fallen ones setting themselves up as false god kings they're still doing it today it just looks a little different and the shit that happened in the 1960s into the 1970s up to today is all the same shit no longer called gods but aliens and ai and we see the transition in the 1960s from calling these fallen ones the gods to calling the fallen ones the aliens and now we see the transition where we're no longer calling them aliens but ai the technology is now taking over for the aliens while people are still propagating the extraterrestrial push i think it is dwindling down and we're now seeing a massive surge of ai CERN opening portals and the worship of technology. So where did it start? The Roswell crash being number one. I think it may actually go back further though with Hitler and the Vril Society getting fallen angel technology. But there was a openly public narrative that was pushed out with the Roswell crash. Now after the Roswell crash in the 1970s, these two crazed loons, Yuri Geller, an Israeli-British illusionist, magician, and self-proclaimed psychic, and Andrea Pucharik, a parapsychological researcher, claimed, among other things, to be in contact with an AI alien intelligence surrounding Earth called spectra and yuri could also bend spoons and had telepathy and claimed his 
feats were the result of paranormal powers given to him by extraterrestrials. And Yuri Geller was also in the Israeli army. And get this shit. Andrea Pucharik. During World War II, Pucharik attended Northwestern University as a student in the Army Specialized Training Program. He earned an undergraduate degree in philosophy and pre-medicine in 1943 and received his MD from the Northwestern University School of Medicine in 1947. His residency was completed at the Permanente Research Foundation in Oakland, California, where he specialized in internal medicine. From 1953 to 1955, he served as a captain in the Army Medical Corps. And in this capacity, he was assigned as chief over outpatient service, U.S. Army Dispensary, Army Chemical Center, and Edgewood Arsenal in Maryland. Edgewood Arsenal. Where have we heard that before? Oh, yeah. Where fucking Frank Zappa and his father lived and worked. Anyways, by this time, Andrea was already presenting papers on the possible military usefulness of paranormal phenomenon. During that time, he was in and out of Edgewood Arsenal Research Laboratories in Fort Detrick, meeting with various high-ranking officers and officials, primarily from the Pentagon, CIA, and Naval Intelligence. And in 1960, Andrea investigated materialism seances at Camp Chesterfield. And in 1971, Andrea met Israeli psychic Yuri Geller. Let me go back and just repeat this. I already talked about John Denver being involved with the idiots in the Laurel Canyon and also being obsessed with space and NASA being a finalist to go on board the Challenger space flight, but instead they swapped him out with the teacher that got exploded, supposedly. Now we see that these cult leaders, Yuri Geller and Andrea Pucharik, were both in the army and both tapping in and channeling disembodied spirits and entities and all other paranormal activity. And we have Andrea working at Edgewood Arsenal where fucking Frank Zappa and his father lived and worked. And he was presenting papers on the possible military usefulness of paranormal phenomenon and was not only working at Edgewood Arsenal Research Laboratories, but he was meeting with various high-ranking officers and officials from the Pentagon, CIA, and Naval Intelligence. When you hear government program, do not think that they are not working on the same ancient mystery religions as the Canaanites and the Babylonians. They are. 
and Andrea got this bug up his ass that he wanted to meet this Dutch psychic named Peter Herkos and invited him to the U.S. in 1956 and investigated his alleged psychic abilities. But he was so obsessed with it that he conducted experiments into materialism and seances at a fucking army camp Chesterfield. And then eventually in 1971 met with this other idiot, Israeli psychic Yuri Geller, and then they got together and told everyone that they were in contact with an AI alien intelligence surrounding Earth called Spectra. And just so happens that Yuri could bend spoons and had telepathy and could move things without touching them. But that's not all. Somebody slow me down. In the 1970s, Andrea claimed he had investigated the effects of a low-frequency radiation beam that the Soviet Union had been testing. According to Andrea, the beam was based on the work of Nikola Tesla and could be used as a weapon to control people. He also claimed the beam was responsible for climate disturbances, earthquakes, Legionnaire's disease, and violent riots. Come on! Andrea wrote Tesla was also contacted several times by extraterrestrials and was channeling beings and spirits. Woo! I'm on fire. Come on, people. Damn it. I'm laying it on the line for you. These government rituals and programs are based upon and work on the most ancient mystery religions. The Rothschilds, and the ancient Canaanite mystery rituals, and the Akkadian, Hittite, Canaanite, Babylonian rituals. The rituals from ancient Egypt are also heavily used by these government programs. The Collins Sinclair type elite bloodlines and some of the other elite families with a Northern European Celtic background are very much into Druid rituals. And you think that they just pulled this out of their asses? Get real. We are going all the way back. These cults and secret societies have always worshipped these old gods. Let's talk about now, though. A cult with a body count in the millions. We are traveling now to Bangalore, India in the 13th century. We will now meet the devil incarnate, Baram. Now, he saw his murders as an act of divine devotion and led a cult responsible for the strangulation of millions of helpless victims. And this murder cult was known as the Thuggy, history's deadliest cult. Closest body count is somewhere in the neighborhood of two mil, buried in mass graves all over India. And the term thug comes from the thuggies. And why in the motherfuck did they do this? Well, they said that these were blood sacrifices to the god Kali. And this bitch has fangs and a long serpent-like tongue 
And now you wonder why all this shit is coming up out of California. Worship of the gods. And because they did not want to waste one single drop of blood, the thuggy strangled their victims so Kali could enjoy all of the victims' blood. And the thuggy were a diverse cult that expanded to Muslims and Sikhs, all worshipping the one who fell from the stars and transcends religion. Wow! And you wonder why all these ritualistic sacrifices are coming out of the Laurel Canyon and California. But let's continue. We are now traveling to Mount Yuyayaku in Argentina, 1999. At the top of this 22,000-foot volcano... Explorers discover the remains of three child mummies perfectly preserved in the climate. One boy and two girls, dating back 500 years old. And they were surrounded by little golden statues. Turns out, the children had been drugged, and their bodies and these little golden artifacts were placed on the top of Mount Yuyayaku as a sacrifice to the Incan gods. Incans always sacrificed young children to the gods to try to get them to return. Wow. Again, look at the Aztecs. Some people, as far as the Aztecs are concerned actually volunteered for the slaughter because of their devotion to the bloodthirsty gods. I've always made the connection between sacred mountains and the fallen ones. They act as navels or portals and axis mundi where these beings can enter our world like Mount Fuji and the suicide forest associated with the goddess Fuji descending down the mountain to offer enlightenment and knowledge. And we all know how that goes. And now it is a place of great reverence where people have been drawn to for thousands of years to murder themselves. But that's another episode. And if you want a little bit more information on the Okikahara Forest and Mount Fuji, I do have an episode on it that I covered during my spooktacular last year. If you scroll down to October's episodes, you will find it there. Now, moving on. In Geneva, Switzerland in 1984, two men, Joseph de Mombro and Luc Jarret, formed a secret society called the Order of the Solar Temple. And they essentially preached about other worlds and planets and were obsessed with extraterrestrials and the Templars. And also with the star Sirius, just like the ancient Egyptians and the civilization on Malta who built Gigantia, and then in Turkey with Gobekli Tepe, all obsessed with the star Sirius. 
On October the 5th, 1994, five people were found dead in this house in Canada. Ten hours later in Switzerland, 25 bodies were discovered in a chalet in the small town of Salvan and 23 more in a nearby village. In less than 24 hours, 53 people had died. Among the dead, eight children, several senior civil servants and two millionaires. But they had something else in common. All were members of a secretive sect, the Order of the Solar Temple. But so, Joseph de Mambro managed to convince his followers that his baby daughter, who he named Emmanuel, was possessed by an alien, and that the alien was communicating to him through her and giving him all this inside info on how the aliens were essentially going to take him and his followers to another planet near Sirius. And all they had to do was believe so hard and devoutly that they would be willing to give up their lives. Huh. Sounds easy enough. And these two yahoos went around telling their followers the apocalypse was near. A lot like the Mormons and Warren Jeffs. And you know what? They end up finding all these bodies of the cult members arranged in networks of chalets in France and Switzerland. And there were timed explosives that went off and basically blew everyone to smithereens and set these chalets on fire. The bodies were essentially cremated. 74 people dead. But now remember... This would be the same year the Heaven's Gate cult poisoned themselves to death in their fucking Nikes. Think about that. And it was also around this same time that another cult formed in Uganda called, quote, the Movement for the Restoration of the Ten Commandments of God, end quote. Try fitting that on a logo for a crop top. Damn. Now, their leader... <laughs> I mean, it's almost too much, you guys. Alright. Their leader, Joseph Kibwitiri, claimed to be in direct communication with the Virgin Mary. Just like the Spanish flu kids. You remember that? When I covered it in the Plagues and Epidemics episode, these three kids thought that they saw the Virgin Mary and yada 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 and she told them to wrap tight cords around their wrists and not to drink water and dehydrate themselves and suffer. This dude, Joseph Kibwiteri, also claimed to be in connection with the Virgin Mary. Now, what I forgot to mention in the Plagues and epidemics episode is that two of those kids who claimed to be in contact with the Virgin Mary within that same year died of the Spanish flu. So again, tell me how this is not connected. Now, Joseph Kibwateri claimed that his communication with the Virgin Mary came through electronics in his home, like fucking Heather O'Rourke and Poltergeist. And he said he was even getting static electricity phone calls from the Virgin Mary. And he predicted the world would end December 31st, 1999. 
But when the date passed without incident, he decided to take matters into his own hands. And he fucking poisoned the shit out of his followers. And he threw their bodies down a well and 500 of them he locked into a wood church building and set it a fucking blaze, guys. A blaze. And in the end, 750 bodies were uncovered. All three cults within this small time frame all claim to be communicating with entities, extraterrestrials, and spirits. But moving on, we are not done yet. Next on the list, we're going to Tokyo, Japan. Mount Fuji, anyone? 1995 on March 20th. Members of the Doomsday Cult place packages filled with a deadly sarin nerve agent on five different trains all going to the heart of Tokyo. Cult members punctured the packages with sharpened umbrella tips. This attack killed 13 people, caused temporary blindness and other sicknesses in over a thousand people, and this attack was led by their cult leader, Shoko Azahara who had visions of the end of the world given to him by, who else, entities. And when the government raided Shoko Asahara's complex, you know what they find? Nothing suspicious, just a military helicopter, explosives, weapons-grade strains of anthrax and Ebola virus and mind-controlled devices that he was developing. Where did he get this from? He also talked about dark conspiracies promulgated by the Jews, the Freemasons, the Dutch, the royal British family, and rival Japanese religions. Come on, you guys! This Shoko Azahara not only was successful in his attack on Japanese citizens, but also had a military helicopter, explosives, weapons-grade strains of anthrax and Ebola virus, and mind-controlled devices that he was developing. From where? Literally, these cults are connected with these governments and the fallen ones. That's why he was always talking about the Jews, the Freemasons, the Dutch, and the British royal family, among other secret societies. Come on, guys! By the slopes of Japan's sacred mountain lies the rural retreat of a sect known as the Orm Supreme Truth. It's here, in this picture postcard setting, that a 20th century nightmare became reality. Three months ago, Tsarin nerve gas was released on the Tokyo subway during the morning rush hour. Choking and blinding five and a half thousand people, killing 11. The attack, we now know, was part of a much larger plot 
aimed no less at overthrowing the Japanese state and starting a world war. Six years ago, a near-blind acupuncturist, Shoko Asahara, founded the Aum Shinrikyo, or Supreme Truth. His catchiest sales point, though, was a claim to levitation. But now, before we wrap up the episode, let's talk a little bit about some honorable mentions. We, of course, have to talk about the People's Temple, the mass suicide at Jonestown, led by the founder, Jim Jones. Jim Jones, of course, led his followers in a mass murder-suicide at their agricultural commune in the South American nation of Guyana. And many of Jones' followers willingly ingested a poison-laced Kool-Aid, while others were forced to do so at gunpoint and they used a syringe type of a deal to squirt it in the mouths of children and babies. The final death toll at Jonestown was 909, and a third of those who perished were children. And, of course, Jim Jones was a charismatic churchman who established the People's Temple in Indianapolis in the 1950s. He preached against racism, and his integrated congregation attracted many African Americans, always an assault on the black people. Why? Because of the DNA. That's what I keep getting back to. Now, here we go. In the 1960s, he moved the group to Northern California, and eventually they end up settling in San Francisco. In the 1970s, his church was accused by the media of financial fraud, abuse of its members, and mistreatment of children. And in response to the mounting criticism, the increasingly paranoid Jim Jones invited his congregation to move with him to this other country. And the rest is history, right? But again, 1960s California mass suicide death cult. Jones persuaded nearly a thousand followers to move to a remote jungle in Guyana. The concept was to build a new world. A socialist utopia. Jonestown was described as this paradise, and it was not. Former member Leslie Wagner Wilson says followers were overworked and underfed. And then as time wore on, I realized that there was no future in Jonestown. Jim became increasingly paranoid. Jones was obsessed with revolutionary suicide. He felt followers should be prepared to die for their cause, even having them drink fruit punch he claimed was poison. Only after most of the people drank the liquid did he tell them, it's not poison, I was just testing you. In November 1978, a concerned congressman, Leo Ryan, flew to Guyana to investigate, accompanied by NBC News. While some followers praised Jonestown, Others wanted out. What is your wish today? To go back, go back home and go home, U.S. As the congressman left, he took 15 defectors with him, angering Jones. People play games, friend. They lie, they lie. What can I do about lies? Are you people going to leave us? I just beg you, please leave us. He ordered gunmen to follow the group to the nearby airstrip. <laughs> where they opened fire, 
five were killed, including Congressman Ryan, NBC correspondent Don Harris, and cameraman Bob Brown. Sound engineer Steve Sung and field producer Robert Flick escaped, as did Ryan Aide and future Congresswoman Jackie Speer. Back at the commune, Jones gathered his followers for a final sermon. We've had as much of this world as you're going to get. Let's just be done with it. Let's be done with the agony of it. This time, Jones served a punch spiked with cyanide. More than 900 died, 300 of them children. Jones shot himself. We know from autopsies conducted later that a considerable number of people were held and forcibly injected with the poison. In the end, how many relatives did you lose? I lost 11 relatives. Wagner Wilson and her three-year-old lived because they were part of a small group that escaped during the confusion that morning, hiking through more than 30 miles of dense jungle to safety. How scared were you to try to escape? I was terrified. I was waiting for a bullet to hit at any moment. I was prepared to die on that day. Jim Jones' father was a disabled World War I veteran who suffered from severe breathing difficulties due to injuries which he sustained in a chemical weapons attack. And Jim Jones would, at times, put children into life-threatening situations and tell them he was guided by the Angel of Death. Who else was called the Angel of Death? Mangala. Jim Jones also developed an intense interest in Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Karl Marx, Mao Zedong, and Mahatma Gandhi. So, again... This is all connected. As of World War II, Jones developed an intense interest in the Nazi party as well. And in his childhood, he could be found shouting Hail Hitler and giving Nazi salute to German prisoners of war who were traveling through their town on their way to a detention facility. And you know who Hitler was working with. So we have another military connection, 1960s, working with the fallen ones, and mass death suicide, mass murder suicides. Now, he also referred to his household as the Rainbow family, and I'm not going to get back into uh, the Wizard of Oz, but damn, can we connect any more shit to these cults? I mean, it's just astounding. All right, that's going to do it for the cults. Now, if you have a cult that you're particularly interested in that I did not mention in this episode, feel free to send me a message on Instagram or leave a comment or uh, however you want to reach out. I'm always interested in learning new information. But just remember, if you're looking up to someone who has millions of followers and no one ever gives any kickback about them or if what they're promising is too good to be true remain vigilant because you might have joined a cult unknowingly the aliens are not coming to save us they are not our friends and they do not exist and you cannot trust anything that the government has to say in my opinion and just like the trickster gods they may offer us three truths and one lie and you never know which one is the lie. So, as I said, keep your guard up, question everything, do your own research, form your own opinions, and thank you so much for being the smartest people in the world and listening to my podcast, but also 
for diving into the truth for yourselves. It's always entertaining for me to present these episodes so I give you a foundation or a jumping off point to start looking into things on your own. But at the end of the day, everyone has their own opinion. I always encourage individuality and we don't always have to agree on everything. But as long as you're on a journey for truth, I'm proud of you. And that's all that matters. So thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed our little journey through the cults of the ancient times going all the way up to today, as well as the sacrifices and serial killers with the 1960s. I hope you all enjoyed it and uh, leave a five-star review if you love what I do. I'll catch you on the next one. 